The epistle is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 5, and 13 to 17. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawlessness, sorry, and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and God our Father, who loved us, and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Funke. Let's stand for the gospel. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married. 
her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For she had married, for seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And that the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for in him all of them are alive. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Father, your word is powerful, like a two-edged sword. We pray that this morning we may hear your word, even through my faltering words. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I want to begin by asking you all a question. What's the point of being a Christian? A strange question, maybe, as we're all sitting here in church. But I say again, what's the point of being a Christian? If I asked your neighbour now, or somebody nearby, uh, to tell you just one point about being a Christian, what might it be? Perhaps it would be knowing Jesus, or being forgiven, or going to heaven, or enabling you to love God and your neighbour. These are all pretty valid reasons for being a Christian. But I suggest that there's one other that is all-encompassing of those. And you may be surprised what it is. What is the point of being a Christian? The answer that I would suggest this morning is for us to be truly human. To be truly human. What does it mean to be human? I've said it before here, but, uh, you know, we share... 50% of our DNA with a banana. 
We share 75% of our DNA with a housefly. We share 98% of our DNA with a chimpanzee. We won't go any further. (laughs) So are we human simply because of 2% of our DNA? Scientists and biologists would suggest that that is the case. But rather, I want to take you back this morning, initially at least, to Genesis, to some very familiar words from chapter 1. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, according to our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. What does it mean to be human? Well, first, Genesis tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. I believe that this is the key to us being human. It's what sets us apart from every other living creature in God's unbelievably magnificent creation. So how are we like God? Clearly, we're not omnipotent, even if from time to time some of us think we are. We're not omnipresent. And all those other omnis that theologians make up. So how are we human? Again, I know I've said it many times in this church and elsewhere, and I make no apologies for repeating what I consider to be the three ways that we are like God. One, we are creative. Second, we have a sense of morality coupled with judgment. And thirdly, love. Creative. I don't need to expand on that. The music we've heard this morning, the art we enjoy technology, literature, the theatre, a million ways in which we are creative. Then there's morality and justice, which go hand in hand. Every single one of us has a sense of right and wrong. Our standards of what is right and what is wrong may vary, but we have a sense of right and wrong. And twinned with that, 
a sense that wrong must be punished. And thirdly, love. We all have a desire not only to love, but to be loved. Something, of course, which is always a choice. Even God cannot make us love him. But actually, this is not my prime focus for this morning. Rather, I want to focus on the second bit of those Genesis verses, the charge of God to us humans created in his image and likeness. Then God said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You see, we weren't created by God to then go off and do our own thing as we saw fit. It's his creation. Therefore, we're created to be his envoys, to be his representatives. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, put it this way, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And we do it as we bear his image and his likeness. That, may I suggest, is the answer to my opening question, what's the point of being a Christian? But, and it's a big but, David Pitches tells a story of a British speaker at a Christian conference over in the States many years ago. And his title for his talk that day was Facing Our Doubts as Christians. And he introduced it by saying, This morning, we are going to look at all our buts as we live the Christian life. There was an outburst of laughter from the whole audience and he suddenly realised that in America the word but has a somewhat different meaning. Nevertheless, but we must remember and never forget that God is love. Therefore, he gave us a choice to be his envoys, to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors. In the words of the famous Mission Impossible films, God said, if you choose to accept this assignment, and sadly, we know that we didn't that Adam and Eve didn't accept the assignment and we live in the consequences of it. However, despite the gross marring of God's image in us, 
not, note, totally destroyed, for even Hitler was still a human being. God had his plan to one day put it all right, restore it, as Victor spoke on a couple of weeks back. And that's what the rest of this book is all about. From the promises to Abraham, through the patriarchs, the Exodus, the great kingdoms of David and Solomon, through the national disobedience, exile and restoration of God's people, they were called to show the world what he was really like. The problem with the Jews in the Old Testament was they thought they were special just because they were Jews. And isn't there a warning for us as Christians to think that we are special just because we go to church on Sunday or because we read our Bible or we're not as badly behaved as some others around us? But if we limit ourselves to that, we have to a greater or lesser extent failed to be God's envoys. But despite all those setbacks in the Old Testament, God was not thwarted in his plans. Enter Jesus. And we need to recognise that the incarnation was much, much more than that ah factor of the Christmas story and a little baby born in a manger. It's about God bringing his long-promised plan to fruition, to show us what Genesis 1 was meant to be like, what our commission, bearing his image and likeness, was meant to achieve. Jesus came to show us what it was to be truly human. What it was to rule and have dominion over creation. Not to lord it over in that pejorative sense, but in his miracles of healing, his calming of storms, his multiplying of food, of the way that he treated other people. All of those were demonstrating what God had meant in the beginning for us human beings to be. But of course, even Jesus' coming was no simple sticking plaster remedy for just those few short years that he was on earth. It was for us all. But it's so radical to become what Jesus, what God created us to be, that actually nothing short of sort of starting again 
of being born again in that phrase that so sadly has become hackneyed in some circles. Moreover, even in the born again state, it's a process of becoming what God created us to be. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians, and all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. See, the verse makes clear that we are being transformed. The Greek is the present continuous. It's a process. Even those who are going to be baptised next Sunday Sunday evening or confirmed a couple of weeks later, they don't suddenly become wonderful and perfect in every way. If you don't believe me, look in the mirror. (laughs) But it's a process. And it's a process that, in shorthand, we talk about being made more like Jesus because he is the prototype of the new creation. Now, I realise I've left a lot out how the gospel works, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, etc., I haven't left them out because they're not important. God forbid I should ever think that. But this sermon has been inspired in part, at least, by reading a book by the great Tom Wright, one time Bishop of Durham. I've been reading it over the last year. It's called Paul, a Biography. And the last chapter which I read two or three weeks back, is a summing up. He calls it the challenge of Paul. And he argues that the whole of Paul's ministry, from the dizzy heights of Romans to the intensely personal Philemon, was driven by this conviction, that the gospel's goal through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus was about making us truly human. In every way. Not just as individuals, but in our community, in our politics, in our economy. We would become truly human as God intended. And through the resurrection, which not only confirms Jesus' death as being all-sufficient for dealing with our sin, the resurrection demonstrates that one day these failing bodies will be transformed into eternal, incorruptible, imperishable bodies as Paul waxes lyrical about 
in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, Jesus' coming did something else. He inaugurated the dynamic of heaven on earth, brought them together that there may be a harmony. The kingdom of God is near, was Jesus' familiar proclamation. It's why I asked Jay that we could have that wonderful song, what a beautiful name it is, that has those two lines in it. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus brought heaven down. One of the most sort of mysterious bits of Paul in Ephesians 2 is he says that we're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It's a mystery. I can't get my head around it except in terms of the fact that Jesus and my belief in him my acceptance, my repentance, my belief has inaugurated in me a process of making me truly human. I suppose I'd better mention our two readings this morning before you all write to the bishop. In the epistle, Paul gives a warning about those who think that the mess that the world was in in his day, how familiar that is to us in our day, meant that Jesus was either about to return or some thought he already had. But that's to misunderstand, as Paul argues, that the resurrection was the inauguration of God's plan of transforming us. The culmination is yet to come and Jesus warned us not to speculate. And the Gospel, of course, is about the Sadducees. Some of us of a certain age will remember a children's song about the Sadducees and not believing in the resurrection and that was why they were sad, you see. <laughs> so sorry if some of this this morning has been a bit heavy but I trust you have seen why I asked my initial question. What is the point of being a Christian? Every Christian, however young, however old, however falteringly, is to be representing God here on earth, to be his image and his likeness. This is our challenge today. Our world, not least our country, is becoming less human as it rebels against God's design in multiple ways.
On the other hand, we have been charged by God to show the world, by our words and deeds, by how we live individually and together, and as by the Spirit we become more like Jesus, the ultimate human. What God is like and what we were created for. Remember those six words in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can't count seven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the point of being a Christian. Let us pray. Father, thank you that when we refused that assignment long ago, you didn't give up. You had a plan. And in Jesus, you brought it to fruition. And Lord, we pray now that you may be gracious unto us and bless us and make your face shine upon us that your glory and love, your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I invite the band to come up for the offertory? <clears throat>